Now, you might find this hard to believe, but ever since I was a kid, I have been a talker. Uh, my, dad, my dad said over and over again that he was never scared of me getting kidnapped because he said I'd talk so much they'd bring me back in 15 minutes. And uh, I never got kidnapped, so I guess he was right. Um, I remember there would be times where my mom would be working at home, and um, she had fingernails in our house, and so I would rush in. I'd be like, Mom, you'll never guess what just happened on the Ninja Turtles. And I would give her an in-depth synopsis about the cartoon episode of the Ninja Turtles that I just watched. And her and her customers would just have to sit there and endure it. And, I mean, sometimes I would talk for almost as long as the actual episode, and it never once occurred to me that they didn't care. Like, all the, I had something to say, and they were going to, I was going to inflict that on them whether they liked it or not. Um, in fifth grade, I was when I started getting held in from recess for not being able to keep quiet. And, oh, I remember Mrs. States was my fifth grade teacher, and I spent more time with her than maybe any teacher I've ever spent time with because I stayed in so many recesses to write sentences, and I hated writing sentences. And she said, oh, every time you stay in, they're going to get longer, and you're going to have to write more of them. And she didn't lie, and so I spent so much time. I had to take homework for sentence writing home because I couldn't write them all in recesses that I was staying in. And, um, and it's, here, let me explain. I was, it wasn't all my fault, okay? You know how that is, right? Um, our school, like, we kind of, it wasn't, it had some growing pains. So they didn't have room for all the extra classes and kids they were doing. And so they put us in what was, I think, a break room originally. And so our teacher clumped our desks together so that there would at least be some room to walk around. And so I'm sitting there facing other kids all day long. How was I supposed to keep quiet? It was, she should have thought that through. Um, but that wasn't the last time I got in trouble. In high school, I got my first ever zero on a test and my first ever detention for talking during a test in English, Mr. Aldrich's English class. And I lied to him and said, but I was just asking for a pencil. I wasn't just asking for a pencil. He didn't believe me anyway, so I still got the detention and the zero. Um, but I've just always been a talker. And for so much of my life, though, it felt like a problem. Felt like something that stole more than it gave, and sometimes it still arranges, uh, arises that way. Sometimes I say things to my wife that, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I think, "No, no, don't do that. That's a terrible idea." Um, it happens, but for most of my life, it was just something that I felt like I needed to get rid of. I needed to control that, and that's what people would tell me: "You need to stop talking." And until I found that actually this thing that seemed to be incredibly natural to me, had a positive outlet that could be used for the good purposes of God. And it took forever for that to come about because for so long I just felt like this is something to stop, not something to encourage. In fact, one of the greatest, greatest thrills of my entire preaching career was I got to speak at the church that my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. States, attended. And I got to say, oh, Mrs. States, you used to keep me in from recess for talking, and now you're offering checks going to pay for me to keep doing it. And I thought that was funny. I thought the irony of that was glorious. And, you know, and, and so I kind of want to talk about that today. How are you shaped? How are you made for the purposes of God? Because sometimes it's not always clear why you are the way that you are. But I believe that we are all made by God specifically to serve. And so we're in the middle of this series we're calling The Leveraged Life, and we are talking about 
using our one and only lives for the purposes that God intended. And every single week of this series, we are asking a very simple question, and it's simply this. What will you do with what God has given to you? God has put blessings in your life, resources in your life, abilities in your life. What are you going to do with those things? Are you going to use those things? And I think this question can be incredibly powerful because, one, it causes you to do an inventory of your life and think, man, what all has God given me? And it causes you to see how richly you have been blessed. But the second thing is it forces you to ask, am I actually going to do this thing? Am I actually going to be a believer, a Christian who follows Jesus, or am I just going to kind of wear the name Christian and do nothing with it? Am I actually going to live the purposes of God, or am I going to be a Christian only in name? And so today, I just want to talk about how you're shaped, how I'm shaped, by looking at a very familiar story in Scripture, the story of Moses and the burning bush. Maybe you've even heard that if you're not much of a church person. Uh, That's in Exodus chapter 3, if you want to get a Bible out and flip there. If you brought a Bible, awesome. If you didn't, there's a black one near you in the pews. If you don't own a Bible, that black one, that's our gift to you. You're not stealing that from us. We want you to have that. Um, The verses will all also be on the screen. I think we're about page 46, I think, if you're using the black pew Bibles there. Now, a little background to the story of Moses and the burning bush. Um, The people of Israel, which started out as just a family of a guy who God changed his name to Israel. And so these, they were just a family originally. They moved to Egypt through a series of events, and they just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew until they were just a huge, ridiculously huge people group. They weren't just a a family anymore. They were like a nation, a a group of people. And the Egyptians thought, man, there's a lot of those people, and we're getting a little nervous that they're going to like overthrow us if they ever get a mind to, so we will put them into slavery. That'll keep them in check. That way they can't ever overthrow us. And so for 400-ish years, Israel, were they were just slaves in Egypt. That means generation after generation of people lived and died knowing nothing but being living a life of forced labor. I mean, living a life of no hope. How long will this be our lot in life? Why is this our lot in life? Will we ever get out of this? God, where are you? God, help. Let us get out of this. And if you know the story of Israel, um, the, the original kind of like head of that family, God made a promise to him saying, your family, they're going to be special to me. Your, your, your family line, they're going to be my special group of people. And so for 400 years, God's special group of people live as slaves. And you kind of think, okay, God... Where are you in that? Like, why would you allow your people, your special group of people, to be in this terrible situation? I know one of the things that everybody's asked is, why does God allow bad things to happen? This was the time when everybody in Israel was probably asking that very question. Where is God in all of this? Why would God leave us stuck in this kind of helpless spot? Now, the idea, the reason why we ask things like that, why would God allow this? is because we have this kind of assumption that since God is all-powerful, it's his job to fix stuff. Makes sense, right? God can do anything, so why would he not fix the bad stuff? It's a very, very simple question. But what it does, though, is it kind of makes us think that it's only God's job to help people. 
It's only God's job to fix bad things. And I think some of the time, we're sitting there, and we'll look around, and we'll see kids who are starving. We'll see um, students whose family home life is terrible and abusive and awful. We'll see people who are hurting and homeless, and we'll say, God, why aren't you doing this? God, why don't you do something? And I think a lot of the time, God looks right back down at us and says, you're right there. Why don't you do something? Because we, we want to outsource our, the, all the help to God because he's all-powerful. But what we miss out on, the fact, is that God wants us to be a part of his plan. And so the main point I want you to see today, if you hear nothing else, is that more often than not, when God works, he works through his people. More often than not, when God helps, he helps through our hands. Yes, there are miracles. Yes, God sometimes does have divine intervention. But I think the overwhelming majority of of the times God intervenes and helps, it's because he puts a bug in our ear and he puts a gifting in our life so that we can be the people that directly help. But too often than not, we are like a lifeguard watching a kid drown going, boy, somebody ought to do something. And God's like, you're right there. You have all the gifts, all the resources. You do something. And so we can't just outsource help to God. We have to get in the game as well. And so for 400 years, Israel's in slavery, praying, God help, God help, God help. And then we enter the story of Moses and the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. What a name. See, if if our third kid could have been a boy, we were looking for another J name. Right, Abby? No? Okay. Um, his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And see that I said, sometimes I say things that I shouldn't, and it's just, it's okay. Most of the time, I, I, I'm okay. Um, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I love this, that little sentence there, because it's basically, Moses, God gets Moses' attention, and Moses is just like, well, that's weird. I'm going to go check that out. Like, that's just the, like, it just amazes me that, like, it was something so simple. Moses had no idea it was God. He had no idea this was going to change the course of his life. He just thought, that's weird. I'm going to walk over there and see this. And I just think that is so interesting how God can sometimes use the most small and unseemingly insign- or seemingly insignificant things to turn our lives in a whole different direction. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and read that underlined part with me, and I have come down to deliver them. So God says, I saw their pain, I heard their prayers, and now I have stepped in to do something. I am coming down to take care of business. Okay, And so why is he telling Moses? Why is, if God's going to take care of it, if God came to help, then why is he even bothering to tell this guy Moses? We'll jump down to verse 10. 
Oops, out of the hands of the Egyptians, excuse me. Verse 10, God says, come, and read this with me again. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, wait a second, God, I thought you were going to do this. God, I thought you were coming down, and God says, I am going to do this through you, Moses. I am going to take care of this business, but I'm going to do it mostly through your hands. And when you read through the story of Moses and we hear about all the plagues that come into Egypt, almost every time God works or sends out a miracle or something that is unexplainable from our normal sense, right? He does it through Moses. It isn't until the Israelites are freed from Egypt that God actually kind of starts showing up on his own without Moses putting his staff in the air or something of that sort. Almost overwhelmingly, God works through Moses. And we miss that so often. It's such a powerful truth that God helps through our hands. God works through you and through me. He doesn't just intervene He gives us the joyful privilege to be a part of his plan to change people's lives. And I think so often we don't get excited about that because we've sat for so long that we've never experienced how joyful it can be. Um, I was talking with this just to Ben a few weeks ago. We were talking about how uh, in Bible college, they taught us to study the Bible, but they didn't teach us to do ministry. And like the first time I baptized somebody was here. And I was Googling how to baptize people because nobody ever taught me at school and I never, I never thought to ask because I was busy sitting and I hadn't ever been in that mindset where, wait, I'm in the game now. I'm doing ministry. I'm reaching people. But figured it out, you know. But, 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 that, but meeting with people and praying with people and teaching people and watching people give their lives to Christ and, and come to faith, knowing that somehow God used me, this kid who spent most of his life staying in recesses and having detentions because he couldn't be quiet, that God would use little old me for his purposes, and I get to sit and watch that. It is such an incredible, joyful blessing that keeps me getting up and doing what I do every single day. And I think so many Christians have thought that's somebody else's job for far too long that we've missed it and we don't get excited about it because we've never experienced it. But most of the time, I think God wants to help through you and through me rather than, you know, opening up heaven and, you know, doing some sort of miracle that's just going to convince everybody. He wants us to get involved. And yet too often when something's wrong, when we see a need, we ask the wrong question. God, where are you? Where are you, God? That's the wrong question. When we see hurts, when we see people who need to hear about Jesus, the question that we should ask ourselves is, am I willing to do something? Before I outsource it to God, I should realize God has already acted. God has already made me and gifted me and empowered me and resourced me. Now it's my turn. Am I willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this situation to this need that I see? And Believe it or not, I think God has shaped you to do much more than you think you are capable of doing. Those situations, when I talk about sharing your faith, some of you go, you can just feel it in your your heart. You go, oh, not me. I don't want to have that conversation. I know I'm thinking of somebody, and just that that thought of that conversation, ooh, it makes me nervous, and I just want to run out the door. I don't even want to listen to Anthony keep talking about this stuff. Believe it or not, God has empowered you and gifted you to do things like that. You guys can do ministry. You can be the ones who share Christ with people, who disciple people, who raise them up in the faith. Some of you, you can even be the ones that baptize them into faith and be kind of their spiritual mother or father in their lives. And many of you probably have never even given that a thought because you've thought that was somebody else's job. 
but it's not. It is ours. God helps through our hands. We just have to be willing to get in the game. Now, the question I ask when I look at Moses here is, again, is why Moses? Like, why did God pick Moses of all the people? Well, if you read Exodus 1 and 2, not now, but some other time, you will see Moses, it's almost like God has been leading his life to prepare him for this job, okay? Um, for one, um, Moses, he was born to an Israelite family, so he's an Israelite, but he was raised in an Egyptian house. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So he's kind of like from both sides of the tracks. He knows the Israelite world, and he knows the customs of Egypt, and he knows like the, the really high-up people in Egypt, okay? So he kind of knows both sides. Um, secondly, Moses did not like how the Egyptians treated his people, so much so that Moses sees a t- one of those taskmasters beating up on an Israelite, and he kills the guy. He kills the taskmaster because it makes him so mad how he's treating the Israelite, and that's how Moses ends up not being uh, in Egypt anymore. He kind of he- gets out of Dodge because he's wanted for murder. And thirdly, Moses still has brothers and sisters in Egypt. He still has a a deep heart for those people who are still oppressed and still slaves. God has shaped him with experiences and with a passion to want to, to see these people freed. So Moses is the perfect guy for this job. And it makes me wonder, has God done the same for you and for me? And so with our little bit of time remaining here, I want to just kind of talk very briefly about how God has shaped you and me. And um, this is going to, this probably doesn't even qualify to be a Cliff Notes version of this. This could probably be a whole uh, set of sermons. But just very quickly, I want to talk about some of the different categories that you and I have been shaped uh, by God. Um, the first one here is your personality. Okay? Your personality gifts you to do certain things. Um, you might notice, like, when I'm up here, I don't sit still. I can't stop moving. I'm always doing something, tugging at my fingers. I'm a fidgety guy. That's okay when I'm here, but there's been times where I've uh, had to be in the back trying to run the computer for stuff. I cannot stay focused long enough over the course of one slide to move it to the next one at the right time. I'll start singing along with the songs and just forgetting that I'm supposed to be doing something. And people in the crowd are like, why is this one slide going to be here forever? Like, what's happening? Um, There's been times at, like, weddings and stuff where I've been a little late to the game on putting certain things on the screen. And it's just like, I'm just, my personality is not fit for that. It makes me terrible for that, okay? But, so that's why I don't do that. And I'm here most of the time. Um, so that's not good. Um, so there's certain places where your personality, it makes you excel in some ways and not in others. Um, for some of you, you are probably like the most introverted of introverts. And it just means that probably you wouldn't enjoy being a greeter. You think, it's not because you're mean. It's not because you can't be pleasant and have a conversation. It's just that you would rather have three root canals in a row than sit and talk to 100 people in the course of 15 minutes. Okay? Your personality prepares you for some things and makes you not great at other things. That's just every how we are as human beings. So personality is one way God has shaped you. Um, God also shapes you through your past, your history, the skills you've acquired in your lifetime. Um, It's amazing how I've seen you guys use your gifts, your abilities that you've just kind of picked up along the way from jobs and whatnot to bless our church. I mean, it's amazing. I've seen people who have uh, construction backgrounds do stuff. I've seen people who can decorate just like make things prettier around here and more pleasant to to look at around here. Um, I've seen those of you who have a heart for kids teach 
lessons to kids that I thought are so creative and so wonderful that I go home and my kids talk about it all week. And it's just, you're just using the skills that you've picked up in your job or somewhere else. It's just amazing the ways that God has shaped your life. Or maybe uh, it's through a past event. Maybe you went through something terrible and now you are grown up and you're past it and you want to help other people who are in that terrible spot and to give them hope that there is something beyond that. God works through our past and our history and our skills. God also works by giving you passions. One of the best examples I've seen of this recently um, it's probably been a year or more now, um, but Sharon and Edwin Randolph's granddaughter, Sophie, came and, and spoke to us about a trip she took to Uganda. Now, if you don't know, if you weren't here for that, uh, basically what happened was she's in college. She's a college girl, has a deep heart for kids in Africa who are hurting, bought herself a plane ticket, and she just went to Uganda for the summer. Not with a church group, not with a bunch of bodyguards, okay? By herself, got on a plane, went to Uganda, got on a car with a, someone who was potentially or basically just a stranger and then went and served God in various places in Uganda all summer long and she came and she was speaking to us and I asked her the question I said so this is kind of a weird thing to do not most of us don't do things like this why did you do it what led you to do that and she said that God had put inside of her a passion a a heartbreaking passion to see these kids be helped and served. And she said, I've always known that it would just be a matter of time until I went, and I just couldn't stop anymore. Her passion that God put in her drove her to that. And your passions, the things that you have a heart for, most obviously will reveal themselves in a, I think, a, a heartbreaking sense. You will see something and you go, I can't stand that. I can't, I, can't, I can't just sit still while this is a problem for people. Um, Bill Hybels calls it a holy discontent that God puts in your heart. Those passions that God puts in you, those will most often be the driving forces that get you out of a pew and into a place where you can serve. And then another place, and this is kind of the one that you could really uh, dive down a rabbit trail talking about forever and ever, spiritual gifting. Spiritual gifts are blessings, uh, whether it's a, a certain attitude of heart or it's a certain ability that God puts in you when you become a Christian and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, working inside of you to help you do things for the purposes of God that you could really never do apart from that. You really couldn't do it on your own. Um, so this is quite literally God working inside of you. Now, I think one of the greatest evidences that God wants us to get in the game is spiritual gifts. Why would God give us these spiritual gifts if he wanted us to never do anything with them? If he wanted us just to sit and pray for people and never actually get up and help people? And so, um, when you talk about spiritual gifts, there are several places in the, in the New Testament where they are, there's a list of spiritual gifts. They're all a little different, so I think they're all a little incomplete. Some people even uh, see evidence of spiritual gifts in the Old Testament. Um, so I put together a list I am not even remotely claiming that this is a complete list, um, and Ben and I were talking about it this week, and I think we have a little bit different opinions on which ones are gifts, which ones aren't. You can get into theological discussions about some gifts, gifts aren't around anymore, some are. It's, it really can be kind of a hairy mess, but just in a slightly incomplete list of spiritual gifts here. Administration, evangelism, faith, generosity, hospitality, leadership, mercy, um, service, shepherding, teaching, wisdom, there's more and more that you could go on and on with, and I would love to take all day and talk about what those mean uh, for you and for me. Um, but one of the problems with when you talk about spiritual gifts in the church and using them is that most people who go to church don't have a clue what their spiritual gifts are. 
Most people in the church, I don't even know if they know, oh, I have, I have spiritual gifts? That's a thing that Christians have. I, I had no idea. I thought those were things God gave special people or ultra-holy people, but not little old me. And so I'm trying to currently put together what I'm hoping is going to be a class where we can um, get together, a, a small group at a time, get together, figure out exactly how God has shaped us through spiritual giftings and other ways, so that you can know what you're good at, know exactly where your place might be, the place that you would find joy and satisfaction and success serving in the ministry of God. Now, all that to be said, all of those wonderful things right there to be said, let me add one little asterisk. Yes, God has shaped you in certain ways. Yes, God has shaped you so that certain things you will be better at and certain things you will find more joy doing than other things. But there are times... When you will come across a need that doesn't match what you're good at, that doesn't match what you love, and you need to get involved anyway. Uh, just because you might not be a kid person, if there's a kid that needs help, that doesn't mean you get to say outsource that to somebody else and say, I'm not a kid person. Sorry, kid. Okay? Sometimes believers, we just need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get to work. Okay? Um, I, again, I'm a talker. Not, I don't do a lot of manual labor. That doesn't mean that I get to never go to the camp and help rake. That doesn't mean I never get to go to the camp and volunteer to paint something, okay? I can do those things, even if it's not something that I would find tons and tons of joy in. Sometimes Christians, we just got to see the need, and we got to attack it because it's there and it's real. So we don't just get to do what we're shaped for. We have a responsibility to help where the needs are. And so we can't use those things as an excuse, our shape as an excuse, to not help in certain areas. Just had to get that out of the way because I've seen people say, well, that's not my thing, so I can't ever do that. Well, that's, sorry, that's not the way Jesus works. You do uh, what he calls you to do. So God helps through our hands. It would be really nice sometimes uh, as a minister if God just opened up the heavens and told everybody to do all the right things and everybody just listened because the heavens opened up and, you know, they saw God and they saw all the things, right? That would be very handy as a preacher, okay? But... God helps through you and me. Most of the time, he wants you and me to get to work using the gifts and talents that he has built inside of us, using the personality and the passions that he has gifted us with. So why would we sit there like a lifeguard, fully capable, fully resourced, watching kids drown, thinking it's somebody else's job to jump in the pool? It's our job to get in the game and to serve where God has gifted us to serve. And so that's going to mean not... Oh, dear God, please help. No, it's going to mean that you and I get more willing to serve. That means we step out of our comfort zones. We step out of our me-focused life, our me-centric schedules, and we are willing to be used by God in moments. We're willing to let God interrupt our lives so that we can actually play an amazing part in his grand plan to reach more and more people for Jesus because God helps through our hands. Are you willing to help? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this call to serve. We are grateful for this way that you have shaped us and molded us to be people who can experience your work. We can, we can help people and, and bless people and, and reach people in ways that we never thought possible. I think back on when you first grabbed my heart and, and started changing me in high school and in college, and I was, I was so inexperienced, and I was so dumb, and yet 
somehow over the course of the years you have used me. And I never thought that you could and I never thought that you would because I just didn't see how I could do anything. But it wasn't about me. It was about your power in me. And so I pray that we would have a boldness that fills us today, Father, as we know that you aren't just tossing us out into the weeds, but you are blessing us. You are resourcing us. You are gifting us to use talents and abilities for your good purpose. You are with us every step of the way. You are giving us the gift of your Holy Spirit inside of us so that we can do more than we ever could alone by your power at work in us. So let us understand the responsibility that we have to serve. Let us see that more often than not, it's not going to be you opening up the heavens and dropping food into the plates of hungry kids. You're going to put us in a place where we can put food on the plates of hungry kids. It's not going to be you just removing every kid from a broken home or an abusive home, excuse me. But Father, it's going to be you putting us in their lives so that we can add some blessings and, and, and some goodness and some love that maybe they aren't getting at home. So let us understand, Father, the places you have us and the blessings you've given us so that we can serve those who need help around us. Put us in places so that we see people who need to hear about the redemption of Jesus and that we might lean into their lives and proclaim his goodness and share with them how you've blessed us so richly. So thank you, Father, for all you do. Thank you for all the ways that you have called us into service and thank you for the way you've changed our lives. Let that gratitude that we have for the change you've worked in our lives just kind of overflow out of us so that we can't help but want to bless other people. Thank you again for Jesus and the redemption that makes all this hope, all this change, all this help and service possible. We are so grateful for the good God that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.